You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, take your seats. I said take your seats. Class, sit. I swear you're all acting like a bunch of animals. Pet Life Radio presents Teacher's Pet, where you'll learn how to understand and communicate with your pet and train them to be the best pet they can be. It's time to see the world from your pet's point of view. So give a tail-wagging welcome to your Teacher's Pet host on PetLifeRadio.com. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Hi, welcome to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvani, Director of Training and Behavior at St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center in Madison, New Jersey, and your host. I would like to welcome our very special guest this week, Colleen Pilar. Colleen is a certified professional dog trainer in Northern Virginia with many specialties. Today, however, we're going to be talking to Colleen about her first love, which is working with dogs and children. Colleen has written two books on the topic, one being Living with Kids and Dogs Without Losing Your Mind, which I love the title of that, and it's also won several awards, and in 2009, Colleen just wrote another book called Kids and Dogs, A Professional's Guide to Helping Families, which I think is going to be so helpful for trainers around the country. As co-owner of All About Dogs, the largest dog training facility and voted one of the best training facilities in the D.C. area by Bostonian Magazine, Colleen oversees numerous group classes, private lessons, behavioral evaluations, and behavior modification programs. And I, for one, have actually been down to visit Colleen Center uh, a few times, actually, giving workshops, and it's a great place. So if you're in that area, don't pass it up. And lastly, Colleen is also a licensed Dogs and Storks presenter, where she offers group and private educational sessions for expectant parents to help them prepare their dog for life with a baby. So, she's got lots of skills and talents. So, before we talk to her, we're going to take a real short break to hear from our sponsor, so don't go away. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's Pet will be back in two shakes of a tail, right after recess. This valuable information comes from your pet. There's nothing like a wagging tail or friendly paw to lift your mood. They're therapeutic and make us feel good. Studies show pets even reduce stress, prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and fight depression. So there you have it. Pets are a daily dose of good health and happiness. Pets add life. To learn more, visit petsaddlife.org. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. 
time. This is Pia Silvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com Hello! I'm Deborah Wolf, and I'm inviting you to my animal party on Pet Life Radio. My pet experts will be coming to the party to answer your pet questions, and they'll also be sharing their favorite stories and messages with us, but I'll be asking them some tough questions. We'll get their opinions on the hot-button topics like the pit bull ban, pet food, vaccines, religion, politics, and animals, cat decline, and the latest news, whatever's turning the animal world on its head, we'll be talking about at the animal party. This party's got bite. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back. This is Pia Silvani, your host of Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. And I'd like to welcome today's guest, Colleen Pilar, who will be talking to us today about living with and training dogs and kids. Thanks for joining us, Colleen. How are you? I'm doing well, Pia. How are you? Fine, thank you. How is your new book doing? New book is being very well received. I'm excited about that. Excellent, excellent. And of course, living with dogs and kids without losing your mind is one of my favorites. It's it's just a terrific little book. I really, I love all your books since I feel that they're so practical and the suggestions are really easy to follow. What made you decide to write a book on this particular topic? Well, I always wished to have a book to refer to my clients when they would have questions, but as a reader, I knew that the books that were out there didn't quite cover the bases I hoped they would. So I spent a few years actually trying to talk other trainers into writing the book, <laughs> and no one bit. And eventually, I just decided I was going to sit down and write the book that I wished I had had as a new parent and the book that I also wished I had as a dog trainer to share with my clients. Great point. And you being a parent, you only know too well what you could have done possibly and what you needed to know at the time. I think one of one of the real challenges is as a, the dog trainer, I have 10,000 suggestions. And as a parent, I know I really only want to do one thing. Can I just do what's, what's easy? That's <laughs> so right. That's right. Trying to meet in the middle there. Good point. What is your initial advice to parents if they come to you saying they're thinking about getting a dog for the kids, and we've both heard that many times, Mm -hmm. and they want to know, what breed do I get? I get that question all the time. I do too, and I wish it was as easy as being able to pick a breed and say, okay, here's the breed, and it'll be great, but it's not about breed. It's about personality, and within every breed, there are individuals with different types of personalities. The analogy I use most often is I have three sons. So I have three boys who have same parents, same rules, same food, same household structure, and they're extremely different people. So there's no more reason to assume my sons would be similar than to assume every beagle is like every other beagle. So we really need to look not at breed, but at temperament. You want a social, friendly, easygoing dog who can bounce back from a little bit of chaos and stress. And that's what you're looking for. It's not about the physical package. It's about the inside. Yeah, that's a great point. And so many people, I think when they start looking for dogs, they focus on the breed, even though they want a dog that obviously is good with children, but they're looking at breeds first. They're really not thinking personality. So I'm glad you brought that up. 
I you think feel that that's something as trainers we have to do a better job of, of really teaching people about because I think that they're they're asking the only question they know to ask. And by asking breed, they think they're asking about personality, but they're not. Yeah, so that's... we need to help people see that. Yeah, that's another great point. Yeah, we don't talk enough about that. I totally agree with you on that. Do you feel there are some dogs that simply should not live with kids? And if you do, who, who are they? I do think that. I don't think it based on breed. So I won't say that there are breeds that should definitely not live with kids, but I will say there are dogs that should definitely not live with kids. And those dogs tend to be dogs that are less social or more easily stressed by surprises and unusual events. And also dogs that are really serious about guarding their stuff tend to have a lot of trouble living in a house where kids are running through rooms. So even if a child isn't interested in the dog's bed or bone or whatever, if they go by, it can make some dogs really uncomfortable. So if a dog has very serious tendencies in that direction, they're usually happier living in a house where children aren't involved. Yeah, that's a good point. Just having a new puppy too. Uh, my one and a half year old dog, you know, all of a sudden she felt challenged because there was like everything was important to her all of a sudden that was on the ground because there was just one additional living being in the house and that was a dog. So when mm-hmm. we think about a child, it's really the same thing, don't you think? I think it's very similar. So why do you think so many children are injured or bitten by dogs? I think there are a couple of factors at play here, and and one of the biggest is I think in general people don't know how to read dog body language, and so we have a tendency to just characterize dogs as good dogs or bad dogs, and good dogs would never ever bite, but the reality is even good dogs have bad moments, so I try to encourage people to look not at good dog, bad dog, but good moment bad moment and Mm. sort of explore the this is not a good moment and guess what your child has bad moments and you have bad moments and your dog has bad moments it in no way reflects upon their goodness as a being but on this exact moment so when we sort of say my dog's so good my kids can pull her ears and pull her tail and she never does anything then we need to make clear but that's still a bad moment that's not Mm. a good moment in that dog's life so once we can help people see that the body language means something and it's important, that helps a lot. But I also think sometimes it, it comes down to that we aren't necessarily teaching kids the best ways to interact with dogs. And if we don't teach them that, then sometimes human and, and canine actions are different. So it's really, it's very loving in a human world to go up and hug and squeeze your dog. Many dogs are uncomfortable with that. And as parents, we may encourage that. Oh, go give the dog a hug. Well, maybe mm-hmm. we're setting up a situation that's not comfortable for the dog. True. And the I know the analogy that I use, too, is when we as parents or aunts, I don't have children myself, but I have nephews and nieces, and it's you go to hug them, and you say, oh, come on, don't you love me? Hug me harder. So <laughs> they, they learn the harder you hug, and the more you hug, the more you love. Yeah. So we're really yeah. sending mixed messages to them, you know, not intentionally, obviously. Right. And because it's not intentional and because it's not discussed, people often don't have any idea they're sending mixed messages until it's pointed out, and then they're very surprised. Um, it does, it's not a deliberate, oh, I don't care what my dog thinks. It's, I didn't realize that mm. how it was being interpreted. You keep bringing up, like, it needs to be discussed. I'm totally 200% in agreement with you. How do we get the word out? 
early before you know people come to you once the dog is growling at the child or then they or a bite unfortunately or maybe just you know the dog is just unruly well that's a great question and that's actually my current real push is i i really think that the dog people of the world are are the gatekeepers to this information and it's not just trainers although obviously trainers are the are the front runners there but all the dog people, the dog walkers and the groomers and the pet sitters and the vets and the vet techs, little by little in every interaction with each of our clients, we can really make a difference here. And one of the things I found most effective with my clients has been to really divide behavior into three categories. And I've been using um, red, yellow, green light signals and, and having, you know, having people look and say, is your dog enjoying something? Well, then that's a green light. Is, it, is the dog tolerating it? That's a yellow light. And is the dog saying, enough already, I want to get away from you. It may not be aggression, I just want to end this. Or it may be aggression, but in any case, I've said, no, done, that would be a red light. And so my new book, the Kids and Dogs book for dog people, for dog aficionados, really talks about how to share that information and share what we all know without thinking about, how to put it into words to people who don't really you know, observe dogs the same way that we do. I like that. It's easy for people to remember, too. I hope so. Yeah, it has been for our clientele. We'll see if we can see if we can get the entire world thinking that way. Well, I'll give you credit and use it myself then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you recommend a not getting a dog for a fearful child? And this is something so many parents want to do, thinking that um, if they get a dog for the child that's fearful of dogs, they'll get over dogs. And maybe why do you discourage it and what can they do instead? I definitely discourage it. I would really like to have a child get over their fear before they're living 24 hours a day with something that they're afraid of. I don't really want to live with, you know, mice in my kitchen. So I don't (laughs) think we need to have children living with dogs in that case. The other thing is that the dogs, they're alive. So when you're working on the fear and the dog walks through the room, even if the dog didn't do anything, that was a scary stimulus. So we need to make sure that we're really helping the children to deal with that. And that requires time and it requires going at the child's own pace. So we need Mm. to spend lots and lots of time working with older, calmer dogs at a distance and letting the child say, okay, now I'm ready to approach or, or maybe I'm ready to reach out and touch the dog's fur or maybe I'm ready to interact and throw a ball. But not, okay, guess what? I brought a new friend home for you who's going to be, you know, sniffing you every time you walk by and pestering you for attention. That's too much too soon. Right, right. I definitely agree. And what advice do you give parents when they say their dog is just overly aroused and they feel the dog thinks the child uh, or the children are their litter mates? That's a common phrase that we hear all the time. The first thing we need to look at is, it's a dog. Is it getting enough exercise? Because the reality is it's tough to give a dog enough exercise. So we really want to make sure that we're giving the dog a lot of physical outlets so that we're not being frustrated or angry with the dog for creating his own. And that's, you know, I am the biggest couch potato at all. I get it. But we need to look around and try to find ways to to make that happen for the dog. And the litter mate theory with the kids often means that we haven't we haven't taught the kids the best ways to interact with the dog. Because if, if we've taught the kids games to play with the dog that have rules, so the dog plays by the rules and the kid plays by the rules, the dog isn't running all over the kid and, and being too much. They're enjoying their time together. So 
as difficult as it sounds, it means time for a parent to step in. This is a time where you have to get involved and figure out how we're meeting the needs here of both the dogs and the children in this household because if you're saying it's too much and they're like crazy littermate syndrome, then they all need the adult to take the lead in that case. Yeah, great, great point. And and you're right with it when it comes to exercise. What we think is enough exercise, probably for child and dog, is never enough. <laughs> never enough. And it's so disheartening to tell people that. Oh, well, you just need to exercise your dog a lot more. A lot. <laughs> yes. And who has time? It was interesting. You know, we want everything immediate because mm-hmm. of today. You know, someone got upset because the phone rang here three times. You know, it's just when we think years back, we had no answering machines. I know, and you would just keep calling until you got through. <laughs> That's but we right. Also sometimes, we also sometimes pick dogs, again, when we're doing that whole breed thing. I have more people tell me that they want a Border Collie or a Jack Russell because they read on the, on the list that the dogs are smart. Well, first off, for me personally, smart is not high on my list of characteristics I want in a dog. I, dumb is nice. And <laughs> secondly, you know, just because he's smart doesn't mean he's easy to live with. If you don't have a flock of sheep, you may not want a Border Collie. And especially if you have three kids and no sheep, that Border Collie is going to find his own work. So, you know, if we, we do have to look at behavior. What do we re- What are we asking for? And then when we get it. We go, huh, look at that. What a surprise. We need to make sure we're we're actually making the right choices for our families. Yeah, and the smart ones can be the dangerous ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, totally. I, I always said I want to have a fan club for dumb dogs. I think they're underappreciated. <laughs> I agree. Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break. So don't go away. We're going to hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back talking to Colleen shortly. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's pet will be back in two shakes of a tail, right after recess. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand, this is the place for a special paparazzi treat. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. 
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvani, your host, and joining us today is Colleen Pilar, a certified professional dog trainer, talking about living with and training dogs and kids. So, Colleen, if parents are thinking about getting a dog, is there a certain age that the children should be that you think is maybe a good age for, let's say, a puppy, adult dog, or talk to me a little bit about that? Okay. I think if a family does not have a dog, waiting until the youngest child is six makes it a lot easier for everyone because the child is at least old enough to understand and follow rules, whether or not they will every time. They certainly won't, their children, but they they understand them and they can sometimes understand the why behind the rules. But I also think it's unreasonable to tell families that they must wait because, quite frankly, I could not have waited all the years between the birth of my first child and the, you know, last one turning six years old to be dogless all those years would have been horrible. And, of course, I had a dog before I had children, so what was I going to do with that dog, you know? Certainly right. not saying that we can't have dogs in the, in the very young years, but I am saying even as a dog trainer with a wonderful dog and pretty good kids and every nice household and all that stuff, there were days when I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> So we have to at least acknowledge that. Life isn't always easy, but it's worth it. So if you don't already have a dog, waiting until they're six is great. If you can't wait, you have to walk in there acknowledging that I, as the adult, am making the choice to have the additional headaches of really managing a household full of, you know, more unpredictability than when they're bigger. And do you recommend puppy versus adult dog? Well, I usually recommend adult dog if we can find a nice adult dog that's the right match for the family because with an adult dog, what you see is what you get. You kind of hear, here they are. This is who they are. With a puppy, you have all those stages to get through. You have, you know, the teasing and the house training and the jumping and all of that. And, mm-hmm. and those are all very doable and, you know, truly nothing cuter than a puppy. But it's extra work. So if, if you... If you can take the time to find the right dog for you, odds are it might come in an adult package. Yeah, that's a great point because, you know, you always forget, you know, just having a puppy now. I can't imagine having this puppy who's very, very busy, who I exercise. He gets tons of exercise. But then to have to deal with young children at the same time, I think I would just scream. (laughs) (laughs) And I did some days. Not proud moments, but yeah, I did. Right. <laughs> so tell us some things that you do with children to encourage them to um, better understand their dog. Well, I, I talk with kids all the time about body language. And, and whenever I do, you know, a private appointment in someone's house, I'll, I'll be just the whole time sort of narrating how the dog is feeling about things and asking the kids questions about it. So the other day I had a dog who was really very sweet and social, but a little bit, a little bit body sensitive. And so I was petting the dog real gently on the chest and the dog was melting into me and I'm asking the kids, you know, does he like it? They said, oh, he likes it. I said, well, how do you know? And I'm getting them to tell me that mm-hmm. he's coming closer to me and he's sort of cuddly with me. And, and then I started petting him, you know, Rottweiler style on his side, you know, funk, 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 funk. Right. And 
I, does he like it? And they said, no. And I said, well, why not? You know, and they said, oh, he's trying to move away from you a little bit. And, and so they were able to sort of see that some things make their dog happy and some things don't. And so some of the things that the kids themselves were doing had been making the dog uncomfortable. So we were able to say, we know how to make him happy. Let's make him happy. Let's talk about how we can tell. And they could identify those specific things. I think that's a biggie. I and mean, I really think body language is... It's so simple to learn, but it's not intuitive. So once people start pointing it out, I mean, it was true for me too. When, when people pointed things out to me, I was like, of course. But I'll admit right. I didn't know all of this until someone showed some of it to me. Right, right. Great point. And you also use games quite a bit, playing games with dogs. Any recommendations? One of my favorite games is the, uh, the name game where the dog comes running to a person who has called their name. But if you have multiple kids, then, then you do it where different kids are in different rooms. So if I'm in the living room and you're in the kitchen, then you'll call the dog. And then I'll call the dog. And then you'll move from the kitchen to the dining room. So you'll call the dog and the dog races into the kitchen going, Pia's in the kitchen. No, she's not. And then he has to hunt and find you. Oh, he finds you in the dining room. And then I call the dog and he runs to the living room because that's where he last saw me. But I'm in the bathroom, so he finds me there. It's, it keeps the kids busy, it keeps the dog busy, it keeps everybody happy. And look, a little teeny bit of exercise thrown in, too. It's all good. So that's really a very popular one with kids. Great, great. I see also that you are a dog and stork instructor. Can you tell our audience what that means and how they can learn more about that? Sure. The Dogs and Storks program was developed by Jen Shryock in North Carolina, and it's, um, I think it's international now. And it's a program designed specifically for basically pregnancy through the first six months or so of a child's life and all the transitions that a dog is going to need to do to learn about that because there's really no way to explain to a dog all that is entailed in a baby arriving in the house. So that program, I think Jen did a fabulous job of really developing a program that teaches families what to look for and how to set their dogs up for success with it. And it really very much concentrates on preparation and looking at it in advance and knowing what to expect and how to help the dog through that. So the Dogs and Storks website is probably the best place for people to look for more information for something in their area if they're expecting a a baby. Great. Yep. I'm sitting here looking at a phone message right now. (laughs) She's she's due in February. So that's quick. It only gives us a, a little less than a month. But obviously, when I think about that, I get a lot of phone calls the last month. You know, can you come evaluate the house? So we really, again, communicating with people need to encourage people maybe the day even before they're pregnant or thinking about getting children to start preparing. I agree. I wish people, I wish people really thought about it much farther in advance than they do because I too get the calls toward the end. Or in fact, this morning, I came from an appointment with a 10-day-old baby who arrived six weeks early. So Mm. that was sort of on their game plan. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the little girl had a different plan in mind, and she came a bit earlier. And they're going to be fine. But it would have been easier if we could have made some of these changes, you know, five months ago or even a year ago. You wrote a great article, which I read, and I, I really like it, and I wondered if you could just share a little bit with the audience. It's called Four Habits to Change Before the Baby Arrives. I thought it was terrific. Share a little info. Okay. 
these are just four habits that sort of commonly happen in households where, where, where you just kind of take the easy road at times. And the first is free feeding. Just put down food on the floor and the dog eats whenever he wants to eat. There are some problems with that from health reasons that we do want to know what's going in so that we know when a dog's appetite changes in any way. That's a very significant health information for your vet, so that's important. But for kid reasons, it's pretty important too. So you don't want your child playing in dog food bowls and things like that, and you certainly don't want anything that the dog might want to guard from a child. So I do recommend putting a dog onto a regular feeding schedule and not just leaving food out. Mm. The second is jumping up. Because it's a natural dog behavior, it's enthusiasm and they like it, but you're going to have things in your hands forever, or at least for years. You're right. going to be coming through the door with a baby and a diaper pail and, you know, possibly, not a diaper pail, a diaper bag, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, possibly holding the hand of a two-year-old and all of that's happening and your dog is leaping at the door going, yay, yay, you're here. The odds are that you're going to be angry about that. I mean, in the mm-hmm. first place, it's dangerous. You don't want your dog leaping at your baby. And you're just going to be sort of frustrated and crabby, like, get down, get off me kind of thing. Well, that's not the, the interaction you want to have either, and especially if your dog has spent the last seven years leaping when you come home. They don't understand why the rules suddenly change. So, again, before the baby, let's fix that jumping. And... The dog I saw this morning that I was mentioning, uh, it's a really sweet dog, but paws at the owner when she wants their attention. So she'll paw and they'll pet and she'll paw and they'll pet. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a 10-day-old baby on the dad's lap and this dog is pawing at him. It's like, ooh, we need to fix that. And yeah. again, it would have been easier to fix that before the baby had arrived. Um, it's just a little bit dangerous. We really just don't want a big dog paw plopping on the on the baby when they're doing that. And then the fourth one is drinking out of the toilet bowl. Although that one is less common among my clients than it used to be. When I started training, it seemed like a lot of people did that. Doesn't seem to be quite as common anymore. But it's a safety <laughs> thing for toddlers. You certainly don't want to have an open toilet anywhere near a toddler. But also, just in terms of germs and hazards and things, it's really better to. Close the toilet bowl and keep fresh water available for your dog. I love that. I never even thought about that one. When I read that in the article, I thought, close the toilet lid. Well, (laughs) obviously, we have to convince men of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) more than anything else. (laughs) But I, I thought that was so interesting. It made such common sense, but I never even thought about that. If parents have not socialized their dog to children, which I hear a lot of, they had no socialization, and now they're expecting a child, what recommendations have you made? Yeah, that's that's the hardest. The real message is please, please socialize your dog to children. Even if you don't plan to have children, even if you you never, ever want to see a child ever anywhere, including at the pet store or the vet, it's still a good idea to socialize your dog to children. Because children move and act so differently from adults that it just doesn't translate the same. So it's, it's much harder to do in an adult dog that is less comfortable than it is with a puppy who kind of goes, oh, yeah, kids. If their dog doesn't have it, the first thing I tell them is that it almost always works that the dog will become comfortable with their child. But frequently their dog will not become comfortable with children. So they may have to make accommodations that are, you know, when their child has friends or company or visitors or any of those things happening, 
that their dog is put in another room and that the dog does not have to love every five-year-old. He just has to love your five-year-old. So that's a big thing. People tend to just clump, you know, like, oh, he's great with my kids, so he'll be great with kids. No, just let him have just your kids. Um, So there's that. And then the second really important thing is a lot of management. So have some safety mechanisms in place so that the dog and the child can become comfortable with one another over time without either one of them stressing the other out. If we're starting with an infant, that's easier because obviously the infant isn't getting into anything. But if we're looking at an adoption, we want to really make sure that we're um, you know, putting the situation where the, where the child isn't in the dog's space all the time and the dog isn't in the child's space all the time. If you're considering adopting an adult dog who is not socialized to children into your family that has children, I would suggest you reconsider. Honestly, I think that mm-hmm. it would be better for that dog to find a home that didn't have children and be less stressful for the dog. I so agree. And I just saw a case last week where sadly the dog had to be put to sleep. Um, it, it was that same type of situation, dog not socialized with children. And it was Christmas Day and family came over and the dog was stressed and the dog was put into another room behind a gate. But the child went up and dog bit the child yeah. in the face pretty severely. So like you said, I think teaching the dog's to learn to be alone too. How many clients mm-hmm. have said, if I close the door, I put him up in the bedroom, he barks for three hours. Yeah, mm. that's definitely a habit to change before your baby arrives. You really want to fix yeah. that one yeah, because you really need to have that. And and it, it is a tragedy where, you know, th- those people tried very hard to manage by putting their dog in another room. And that's one of the reasons why we recommend double management. So it's yeah. like you put the dog in the bathroom and close the door and the bedroom and close the door and make sure you lock one of those doors. And Because someone does walk into a bedroom just forgetting or, you know, yep. just curious, wanted to see the dog. I just wanted to see him. Really? Mm-hmm. That's what the situation was. Yeah, absolutely. One more question. Um, unfortunately, this is, I, cause I love this topic, but do you have special classes at your training facility for kids and dogs? And how can people find out more about it? If well, you in do? the past, we had a summer kids and dogs camp, which was a blast, um, just one week. And that we can no longer do because we share our building with the daycare and, and it has changed ownership and the hours have changed. So we discontinued that, but it was very fun. And so any trainer who can do such a thing, I'd be happy to talk to them about ideas for that. But the rest of what we do tend to be no more sporadic events. We've done lots of um, come meet a therapy dog events where kids can sign up and come and learn some of the safety, be a tree skills and the proper way to approach and meet dogs. And then we meet some of the wonderful therapy dogs that are among our clientele. And people are always so generous to volunteer their time to come and do this with children in the community and I love that the children get the chance to practice with a real dog the Mm. right skills under good circumstances where I've got control of the situation so we do like to do that and our training facility is um, all about dogs so the website for that would be allaboutdogsinc.com and then all the books and things are through Dream Dog Productions so the website for that is dreamdogproductions.com Terrific. Well, Colleen, thank you so much for joining me, and you gave such wonderful information to our audience. I'm sure they'll enjoy it. It's always nice talking to you. Thank you for having me, P. I really appreciate it. A special thanks to our producers for making this show happen. 
Also, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, ideas for future shows, don't forget, email me at Pia at PetLifeRadio.com. So, don't forget, next week, training session number, I don't recall. (laughs) You'll have to just come back and listen to it. So, until next time, this is Pia signing off. Thanks, Colleen, and thank you for your interest in Pet Life Radio. Bye-bye. Schools in session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com.